0: Let's turn together once again to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our study of the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes form the characteristic, or the characteristics rather, plural, of kingdom dwellers. Now I want to begin by looking at the first two verses here in Matthew chapter 5. Where it says, and seeing the multitudes, he, Christ, went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples, that's a very important word, his disciples, his followers, came unto him. And then in verse 2 it says, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Now that presupposes, in the context that Jesus was teaching those that were truly his. They were his disciples. They had been saved by his grace. Now, I, I understand Judas was among them. But may I make a point that you cannot teach a person who is not a believer Christian truth. They don't have the capacity for it. They have to be born again. Now, you can preach the gospel, yes, and we do, and we should. But at the end of the day, God must give us a new heart and a new mind and a new will. And so, he says there in verse 5, the third beatitude Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit. The earth. Another way of saying that is, happy are the humble. Happy are the humble. Now, what does it mean to be meek? William Barclay, in his commentary of the Sermon on the Mount, he goes back and unpacks the Greek word there for meek, praiotis, and he gives it three distinct. First of all, meekness is the happy medium between too much anger and too little anger. Therefore, he translates that verse, blessed is the man who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. That reminds us of one of the Proverbs, chapter 16 verse 32 He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. That's meekness. Meekness is also, according to that Greek word priotes, a form of submission. It was used in the culture to describe the domesticating of animals to obey words of command. That doesn't work at my house at all. I'm being domesticated by our miniature schnauzer, but that's another story for another day. Blessed is the person who is totally submitted to God and his word. Now again, describing the character of disciples, of followers. And then finally, meekness, praeotes, is humility. Arthur Pink says this, and I quote, Meekness is the opposite of self-will towards God and ill will towards men. Meekness is the opposite of pride, stubbornness, fierceness, Vengefulness, end quote. So, meekness, to be clear, is humility. It is the polar opposite of arrogance, of pride, a know it all attitude. Meekness, humility, is a true view of what I am by nature. Notice again in Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 3 Blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 4, blessed are they that mourn. What are they mourning over? They're mourning over their condition. They're mourning over their sin. And then blessed are the meek. The meek have a true view of what they are by nature, a sinner in desperate need of saving grace. Now, again, in the context, certainly to the disciples of Christ as they heard that, blessed are. Are the meek. The concept of meekness in first century Jewish culture was somewhat problematic. Because the prevailing Jewish view of a Messiah was that he was going to come as a conquering king. He would arrive on scene, overthrow the Roman Empire, and bring peace, harmony and restore Israel to the place of prominence. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, listen, this is Jesus speaking. Think not that I have come to send peace on earth, I come not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be those of his own family. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and he that takes not his cross and does not follow after me is not worthy of me. I can just hear it now. You hurt my feelings. Right? That was countercultural. I didn't come to bring peace. But that's what they thought. The Jews wanted a strong, assertive warrior king, they wanted political, military, ethnic supremacy, and Jesus was not what they expected. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, "A meek and lowly in heart, you'll find rest under your heart. We don't want meek and lowly in heart. We want strong. We want assertive. Jesus was not what they expected, and he wasn't what they thought they needed. A mighty Savior from sin. Again, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. When Jesus saw a man by the name of Matthew sitting and taking the taxes, he said, come and follow me. And the Pharisees, when Jesus sat down and had a meal with publicans and sinners, the Pharisees, self-righteous religious leaders, saw it and they said, why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? Why is he associating with those people? Why does he go... To Longhorn and sit with sinners. And Jesus heard that. And he said this. Those that are well don't need a physician, but those that are sick. Do you go to the doctor when you feel good? Do you? But go and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In John chapter 18, when Jesus was standing before Pilate, he said explicitly, my kingdom is not of this world. Do you remember when Judas came and kissed Jesus and the, and the soldiers and the priests and the scribes began closing in. Peter pulled out a sword and sliced off a man's ear. He was revolting, wasn't he? Because he, Peter, thought they needed a king. And Jesus took that man's ear and picked it up and put it back on his head and healed him. And he said, Peter, put that away. Don't do that. I'm going to drink the cup that my father gave me to drink. I'm going to bear the sin and the guilt. And so that brings us to Isaiah 53 where he says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. We esteemed him not. That brings us to the next point I want to make the blinding nature of our sin. The blinding nature of our sin. And there is, listen, there is no more dangerous aspect of the deceitfulness of sin than this the blindness of our sin. It will close you off from the insight-giving ministry of God's Word. It will cause you to reject divine conviction, and it will shut you off from the essential sanctifying ministry of the body of Christ, the church. There is no more dangerous delusion, ladies and gentlemen, than the, that we're blind to our own blindness. Because, you see, sin blinds. Jesus called the scribes and the Pharisees blind leaders of the blind. Because this is true, we don't have an accurate view of ourselves as long as there is sin remaining in us. You do understand, right, that we have two natures. If you're a Christian, you have two natures. You have a new nature, you've been born again, right? Right? But you also still have your old nature. And your old nature is all about blinding you to the reality of sin in your life, which approves of self-righteousness. And that remaining deceitfulness creates pockets of personal spiritual blindness that results in functional inaccuracies in the way I see, examine, and assess myself which in turn results in me thinking I am more righteous, more mature, more consistent, more godly than we actually are. Because there is sin of thought, there is sin of desire, of attitude, word, action, that we do not see or assess properly. We're blind to our blindness. Now, If we think that no one knows us better than we know ourselves, which is the way we think, right? When someone comes along confronting us with something that we haven't seen, then we feel no guilt in rejecting what that person says. You've misjudged me, you don't see me the way that I see myself rather than a person being feeling loved by their pastor or by God and helped by the pastor and God to grow in insight and maturity they feel wrongly condemned and they say this your ministry to me rather than being hope-giving is an affront and if this happens repeatedly there's no more relationship this is one of the key reasons ladies and gentlemen that in the last 20 to 25 years, 40 million people have left the visible church and they haven't come back. We're blind to our own blindness. And that happens because sin not only blinds us, but it blinds us to our blindness. We honestly think we know ourselves when in fact we don't know ourselves as well as we think we do. We think that we're open to God and His ministry of others, but we can be way more defensive than we realize. We think we're approachable, but then we get argumentative when we're accused of something that is outside the field of our own self-knowledge. We fall easily into this attractive trap of delusion assuming that we know ourselves better than anybody else does. Unfortunately, we often, and I'm including myself right here, I'm pointing the finger. Folks, I've been working on this sermon for two weeks, okay? And I work on my sermon in the middle of the night. I wake up at midnight and thoughts and I've got a pad by my bed so I can write down scripture. Do you understand? This is my calling. This is my life. This church is my life. And I'm not just trying to make everybody happy and make everybody like me. I'm trying to keep you from going to hell. Because I love you. Because I love you. Many of us will say that we love the church, but we're functionally not open, not approachable, and not humbly ready to listen when we are confronted by what we have not seen or don't know about ourselves. So I can hear somebody saying right now, I hear what you're saying, preacher, but I know my heart. Okay. Okay. Go back and read Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Ecclesiastes eight eleven. Because sentence against an evil work is not speedily executed, therefore the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil. Blessed are the meek. Meekness is an initial response to God's truth in Scripture. When you hear the Word of God, it, it, it brings meekness and humility. James 1.21, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted Word which is able to save your souls. Receive it with meekness. Meekness is a motive in evangelism. 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit, notice it doesn't say fruits, it says fruit. It's all or none. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control against there is no law. Meekness, humility is a mark of spiritual maturity. Colossians 3.12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, putting up with one another in love, forbearing. Meekness is a product of God's grace. Matthew, Henry, Said this, the meek are those who quietly submit themselves before God to His word, to His rod, who follow His directions and comply with His design, and are gentle towards men. End quote. Matthew chapter 18. Listen. The the disciples came unto Jesus, they'd been talking about this among themselves. And they came to Jesus and they asked this question, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoso shall receive one little child in my name, receiveth me. Psalm 149, 4. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, he will beautify the meek with salvation. Now, Can we get ourselves in a state of mind where we, we just kind of somehow come up with meekness? No. Meekness is a product of the new birth. You have to be born again. The new birth is necessary for true meekness and humility because the new birth gives us the new nature of the children of God. And adoption gives us the privilege and the identity of sons and daughters of God. Now, having said all that, what meekness and humility is not. I think we know what it is now, right? What meekness is not. Meekness is not weakness. Let me say that again. Meekness is not weakness. Weakness, because that's the world. The world sees meekness and humility as being weak. The Christian who is humble does not waver from or compromise God's truth or God's holiness. Do you know who the meekest man was in his generation? Anybody know? Moses. Yeah. Yeah. Numbers 12.3, now the man Moses was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth. Yet, I would remind you, when Moses came down from the mount and he saw the golden calf, and he saw the idolatrous dancing, and the nakedness, he reacted with a righteous anger. He broke the two tables of the law of God. He confronted his older brother Aaron, He burned the idolatrous calf, threw it into the fire, and he instructed the Levites to slay every idolater in the camp of the Israelites, which amounted to 3,000 men. May I also remind you that our Lord Jesus was humble and meek. But I would also remind you that in John chapter 2 Jesus went into the temple and drove out the money changers because he was jealous for the glory of God. A humble person is jealous of the glory of God. They want God to be glorified and they want God to be glorified beginning with themselves. Again in Matthew chapter 15 some of the scribes and the Pharisees, the self-righteous ones, who functionally believed that they were better than everybody. They were not humble. They were not meek. And they came to Jesus. And they said, why do your disciples, why are you allowing this? Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat. What did Jesus say? Oh, guys, I'm sorry. I'll I'll talk to them about that. No. He answered and said unto them, Why do you transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother. He that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But you say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou might be profited by me. And honor not his father and his mother, he shall be free. So, You see, the scribes and the Pharisees had created their own set of commandments, 613 to be exact. And this was one of them. And Jesus said this You have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. And then he said this You hypocrites. You hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied of you, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips. They sing the hymns. They recite the confession. But their heart is far from me. Everybody's worried about what's happening in America, right? Right? Prices are going up. Wages are going down. We have people streaming across our border unchecked. Crime. Let me ask you a real question. What is the church doing? We're having parties. We're taking youth trips. We're having Easter egg hunts. But we can't get more than four people to come to a prayer meeting on Sunday morning. And I'm telling you, that room's going to be full one day, but it's probably going to be too late. I'm not going to, look, I am not going to badger you. I am not bullying you. I promise you I'm not. I'm just saying, America, wake up. Church, wake up. Don't blame it on the politicians. Don't don't listen to the news at night and get your mind and your heart all worked up and and all those Democrats, all those Republicans, oh blah, blah, blah. Go get on your knees before God and pray. Does that make sense? Jesus said, leave them alone, said to his disciples, said to the multitude, leave them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, they're both going to go in the ditch. Strong words from the meek and lowly Jesus. Something else that meekness and humility is not, it's not overly self-protective. And in our fallen, unregenerate condition, we are naturally self-protective. But meekness and humility is a true view of what we are by nature, sinners. And meekness causes us not only to admit that, but to run to Christ for His amazing rescuing grace... Because unless and until we are made to see our true condition and our need of grace, we will not reach out for help and rescue that we don't think we really need. What we will do is we'll make excuses, we'll deny, and we'll minimize our sin. That brings us back to our text, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. The Puritan John Owen said this, he who walks humbly walks safely. He who walks humbly walks safely. Look at verse 5. Blessed are the meek for they shall what? There's that word inherit the earth. What exactly does that mean, inherit the earth." Again, Christ is speaking specifically to his disciples, his followers, as to the characteristics of those who dwell in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is declaring what a Christian is by the new birth and what a Christian has to look forward to after this life is over. Blessings, benefits, dominion. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. Verse 10 says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed towards his name, that you have ministered to the saints. You have served And you do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That you be not slothful or lazy, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Inherit all things. In each of, if you'll turn with me for just a moment back to the book of Revelation, just hold your place there in Matthew 5 and turn back to Revelation chapter 5. And by the way, we have bookmarks that have about six or seven ribbons on them out there in a basket on the table. And you can get one of those and you can bookmark your, your Bible with those. But in the seven churches of the Revelation, in each one of those seven churches, and let me just say, Those seven churches represent seven actual churches that were in Asia. Seven actual churches that Jesus wrote to. They also represent, those seven churches represent in time, seven periods of church history. And church history ends with the church at Laodicea. But they also represent any church at any time and any place. And in each of those seven churches, he addresses those who are termed overcomers. For instance, the church at Ephesus. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Then verse 11, the church at Smyrna. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And then again, in verse 17, he's addressing the church at Pergamos. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knows, saving him that receives it. The church at Thyatira, in verse 26 of chapter 2. He that overcometh and keeps my works unto the M Unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. Because you see, a Christian, as Christians, we're both heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Wherever he is and whatever he's doing, we're going to be involved in forever. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5 The church at Sardis, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Verse 12, the church at Philadelphia, him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. And then finally, verse 21 of chapter 3, the last church. The end of church history, Laodicea. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Think about that. Let that sink in just a minute. To sit with Christ and rule and reign with Christ at his throne. Even as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his throne. And then Revelation 21, verse 7. Just listen. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. All things. We don't have time (laughs) this morning. We don't have time left on earth to talk about the all things. But you're consumed with the right now. With your stuff. The Bible also explicitly states those who will not inherit. Second Corinthians, Chapter six. or rather, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians, I misquoted that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Shall not inherit. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexual, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God, Period. But, such were some of you, Corinthian church, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And then he writes, Paul writes to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5 verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, divisions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings of the such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not telling you this to scare anyone. I'm telling you this to make you aware. Let me close with a quote from John Calvin. Reformation is not regeneration. And a changed life does not always indicate a changed heart. Have you been saved from a dislike of God's commandments and a dislike of His holiness? Have you been saved from pride, worldliness, murmuring? That's complaining. We we sang about that at the beginning, our call to worship. With Jesus, my December is like May. Do we complain about how cold it is in December and then when we get to May and August... Here in the South, we complain about how hot it is. Who controls the weather? That's murmuring, ladies and gentlemen. That's what that means. Have you been delivered from the love of this world, from the fear of man, from the reigning power of your sin, end quote. So what controls your life? What controls your thoughts? What controls your desires? What controls your words? Listen, Jesus says, repent, deny yourself, take up your cross, forsake everything, and follow me. Will you do that today before it's everlastingly too late? Please let's bow our heads together as we close our service this morning.